Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, we are in a series this spring on the book of James, and uh, we opened up a new chapter last week, and we're looking at contradictions, things that we see that are detailed and outlined in the book of James that may be in contrast to how we would think about life and how we would live our lives. And this morning, we're going to be looking at, is there a difference between believing in something, having knowledge, and actually putting trust in something? And there, there is a classic exercise that has been done all over the world for years and years that demonstrates, do you trust another individual? Has anyone ever participated in a trust fall? Anyone, you've done a trust fall. Well, I think I need two properly sized individuals. Right? Anthony why don't, and, and, and Michael. Yes, Michael. Can we welcome Anthony and Michael to the stage? I think these two, these two are, are appropriately sized individuals who would, who would participate in a trust fall. Now, Michael, do you know what a trust fall is? Yes. You know what a trust fall is. So explain to everyone what you think a trust fall is. Okay, and do you have full trust in your dad? Whoa! <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you believe that your dad is there to protect you? Sometimes. Sometimes? <laughs> this, is, this is not going well for you. <laughs> do you. Do you have trust in your dad? Yeah. Do you have, do you have trust in Michael? Okay, so let's, so let's go step one of this demonstration. Just turn around, Michael, turn your face, your back to your father, and let's see, will you... Do you have, you, you have full belief in your dad and trust in your dad? Yes. Enough that you can just fall back and he's going to catch you. Oh, he did. Can, you, ready? I was going to count you down. Okay, and you're just going to lean. That's how much, you didn't even need to. Okay, let's have audience participation on the count of, on, let's go three, two, one, and then fall and see if you can just lean all the way back and just, okay, ready? Three, two, one, fall. Congratulations. <laughs> so you guys... You guys fully trust each other, right? Fully trust each other. Switch places. <laughs> you're, you, you, I thought you said you fully trust your father. I fully trust him to me, but I'm not, I'm not strong. <laughs> okay, we're not going to make this happen. Can we, can, we, can, we give, can we give a round of applause for Anthony and Michael? Thank you so much for demonstrating this this morning. So you... See, there's a difference between they were fully able to say, oh yeah, I believe in you. I, I believe in my dad. I believe in my son. And then when we say fall into the arms of a 12-year-old, like, oh, I'm not so sure. I want to put my, my fate, my, my back, my head into, into the arms of that, of that 12-year-old. You can believe in each other, but say, I'm not, you can believe in something, but still reserve trust that they will follow through for you back a little bit. And it's probably wise that full-grown adults don't trust their entire body weight into the hands of 12-year-olds. I'm not suggesting that that's something that we should do. But we use the extreme to demonstrate something so that we can apply it in something that may not be as evident for us. 
And we're going to look at that in terms of our faith. Can we have belief in who Jesus is yet not trust that he will come through for us in the way that he designed us to live? National Post did a survey last year. And if you had to put a guess on how many Canadians believed that God is active in the world, where would you guess? Just call it out. How much would you guess? Well, who would, who would believe that more than 20% of Canadians believe that God is active in the world? Hands up. Okay. How many would believe that more than 30% of Canadians? How many believe that more than 40% of Canadians fully believe that God is present and active in the world? How many would believe that more than 50% of Canadians believe that God is present and active in the world? In this National Post survey, 53% of surveyed Canadians said, I believe that God exists in some form. I believe that God is active in the world. Yet, there was, there was um, 53% believe that God is active in the world. 67% of Canadians who responded actually believed that God existed, but he wasn't active in the world. So, so there's this discrepancy of 14% believe that he's there, but he isn't active. Now I want to show you this graphic here. Only 21% of the, congre- of the, of the congregation, of the population has any kind of religious commitment and active lifestyle. So less than half of those who believe that God is active do anything to demonstrate with their life that they believe that God is active by being regular participants in some kind of religion, which leaves 30% who say, you know what, I believe God is active, but I'm just going to be privately faithful. And another 30% who aren't even sure, they're like, they're wondering if God is alive, but they don't do anything about their faith. And only 19% of Canadians, isn't this unbelievable? Only 19% of Canadians just say there is no God who is alive in the world. So there's 81% of us in the population that have some kind of belief in God, but definitely not 81% of the population who says, I believe it's strong enough to put any kind of trust into it. So the big question for us to answer this morning is, what good is faith if you do nothing with it? What good is it to say, I believe that God exists, but I'm not going to change anything about my life, change anything about my daily habits, the way that I invest my time, energies, and money, to show that I have credence into it. Because in our independent world, we like to empower people to say, you know, you can live and believe however you like. And if it works for you and that makes sense for you, then, then you can live that way. And what we're going to see is when we go into the Bible, specifically into the book of James, James challenges this idea. And he says, you know, it's not enough for you to come to a conclusion on your own and just have personal faith, but you need to have some action to it. So if you have your Bibles or you have your app, open up the book of James. We're going to go to chapter 2, and we're going to be starting at verse 14. We're going to read through to 18, but you're going to want to open your Bible and leave it open there today because we're going to be going through a lot of this chapter, and we're not going to have every verse on screen. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. If you have uh, your app and you're choosing uh, a version to read, you can read out of the New Living. Your notes are also in your app, and your notes are also in your bulletin. Here's, here we go. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. What does he say about the difference between believing and trusting. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, well, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without your deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Let's pause and pray. Lord, I pray that your words would resonate in our hearts and in our minds. You say that your word is alive and your word gives life to us. And Lord, what I would ask is that um, we would leave our hearts and our minds open to being changed and molded by your word. We wouldn't bring our own ideas and our own notions and say, I know what this is. Lord, I pray we would be open books so that you could write on us this morning what your word is and how we would live that out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the big idea this morning is that faith is actually the active demonstration of a belief. Faith and belief are not the same things. To have faith, you need to act what you believe. So our first fill in the blank there as you're taking notes is that believing does not equal trusting. And we've already played this out with a little fun on stage doing the trust fall, but it's critical to resolve in our minds that it is possible to have a belief in something that is not followed up by acts of trust because James says that faith like this has very little value. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, this should be an uncomfortable statement and an uncomfortable conversation for you because there are definitely places in the Bible where it, it speaks of, if you believe, then you will be saved. And, and, and salvation comes through hearing. So Acts 31 says this, They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your entire household actually was mentioned there, if you just believe. If someone ever tells you that there aren't contradictions within the Bible, don't fight them. Because there are all kinds of contradictions in the Bible until you really get in and do a word study and understand what every word means and understand the context of everything, you will find all kinds of contradictions. So if if they're just trying to pick a fight with you and say, well, you know, you shouldn't believe the Bible because it contradicts itself, you just smile and nod and know that you are smarter than they are and then move on. But But when you read the word believe in the New Testament, here's the word that we're gonna see. The word is pisteo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, if you want to look that up. It means to trust, it means to have faith. And this word is both a noun and a verb, meaning it is a thing, I believe, but it is also an action. My belief is not just the thing that I have, it is something that I act, it is something that I do. So James has a problem when he says, when somebody says, I have faith, but I don't have deeds. He says, no, faith is not a private thing between you and God. Faith, belief is an active, lived out, everyday, participatory thing. So James 1 and 22, if you, if you still have your Bible open, scroll down there all the way to verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word because you deceive yourselves if all you're doing is listening. Do what it says. Don't deceive yourselves by just listening. And we deceive ourselves all the time by thinking that because we've heard something, because we've understood something, it has become transformative in our lives. The transformation happens when it becomes action. I stopped at verse 18 earlier, but let's read verses 19 and 20 together if you still have your Bibles open. James 2. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. (laughs) Then he gets a little sassy. He goes, good for you. 
Even the demons believe that there's a God. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, if you weren't with us in the first couple of messages, I said, just be prepared for this book. James is a harsh guy. James, James calls out a lot of things. And he, and he says, if you have faith, that's super. Well done. Even the demons, those who are actively working against God, believe in God. It isn't about just having the knowledge and the awareness that God exists. Faith is the marriage of belief and action. Faith is when, it, when we bring together what we understand And live it out in what we do. So faith has no room for complacency. That's why James enough was bold enough to say in verse 16 that if you have if you have faith but you do nothing about somebody's physical needs, well, what good is that kind of encouragement? We say we know that God loves us as a follower of Christ, but how do you know that God loves you? How do you honestly know that that God loves you beyond just what you think, beyond just your knowledge? We know because Jesus came to earth, he lived without sin, and he died, and he paid the price that I could never pay because I'm sinful and my sacrifice wouldn't pay for anything more. So we know that God loves us. Why? Because of the action that Jesus came and did. Let me ask you this. What would happen if Jesus had never died? Why would we be sitting here this morning if, 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 if we just knew that God just loved us, but Jesus never came and made a sacrifice for us so we could have perfect relationship with him? The transformative part of Jesus was not in what he said. Although there is life in his words, although there is good teaching in his words, the transformative part that absolutely changed everything about how I relate to God is in what he did, not in what he said. It was his action. Which is why we get to the second part, is that not just belief and trust is different, is that trusting is then evident in how we live. And that's why we celebrated that moment in communion a few minutes earlier. We said, Jesus was wrestling this down. He said, it's not what I want, God, but it's what you want, and I trust that this is your way, so I will actively live this out. And if you believe something so much that you will trust enough to follow through with action, then it is proven in how you live. There are all kinds of times we say that we trust each other, but our trust is shaky at best. We had the trust fall. What, what happened uh, last week on Mother's Day when, if you have younger kids and they made you breakfast, hopefully there were some moms that, I heard that there were some moms that didn't get breakfast. I'm not going to call anybody out right now, but I, I, I know there are some moms that didn't have breakfast made for them. I'm just scanning the room, and I know there were a few. I'm not going to call names, but I know there were. But what, what about if your child brought you breakfast, and your child said, trust me, mom, I washed my hands before I started cutting up all this food. <laughs> Do you eat that food? <laughs> You're like, because I'm a mom, I'm going to eat that food. But, but you don't trust that they actually washed their hands. You have no idea where those hands were because you, you don't have confidence, so you're not sure. What about when, when you're with your significant other and they say, trust me, I checked the budget. We can totally afford this. You, you don't need to check the bank account. We absolutely have room on the credit card. We absolutely have room to buy that. Do you trust them or do you check the bank app? What do you do? We say we trust each other, but our actions don't always follow that up, which is why James said, some will say you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. James says, I will show you my faith by my deeds. You know, Jesus actually taught on this concept as well, Matthew 7 and 20. He said, you know how you're going to recognize followers 
of Christ, it's by their fruit that you will recognize them, Matthew 7, 20. And then James calls it out, even if you go all the way back to Abraham, a little later in the passage, verse 21. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what? For what he did when he sacrificed his son Isaac on the altar. I don't know if you remember all the details of Abraham's story, but Abraham was the man who had a prophecy about having a baby when he was in his 80s. He had a baby, or his wife had a baby. They had, he and Sarah had the baby when he was in his 90s. It was his only son, and this was the clear and evident pathway of how God was fulfilling the promise that he had made to him years ago. The prophecy that, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a movement that's going to have as many descendants as you can count stars in the sky, pick up a handful of sand, and as many grains of sand as are in your hand, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Abraham, this is going to happen. And then he has the baby, or Sarah has the baby, and they have this child. It's obvious to anyone who would look on that that has to be God's provision for them. And then God asks this man to say, this provision that I've given you, the thing that you think is my, is the fulfillment of the prophecy, the provision I have for you, I want you to take that and make Isaac, your son, a living sacrifice. And what do we see? Abraham was considered righteous for what? Not that he believed in the prophecy, not that he believed that he would have a son, because he even questioned that. Not even considered righteous because he Because they had the baby. He was considered righteous for what he did. It was not that Abraham said, okay, I'll sacrifice my son. It was not when he took his son to the top of a mountain to make a sacrifice that God was pleased. It was not even when he had Isaac built a fire, which would have been for his own sacrifice, and then allow his dad to tie him up. God still was not pleased, but it was when he took out the knife to follow through on the sacrifice and began to act That's when God was pleased, when his faith became action. Faith is not information. Faith is application of the information. I trust God enough that even when it means I might have to give up that which is precious to me, even when I have to give up what I thought was God's provision in my life, I need to sacrifice it. I will do it. That's what faith is. It's the application of the information. So let's get to the so what this morning for us. Our third point or our question for reflection is how do you live out a faith that trusts? How do you get to a place where like, I know this stuff about who Jesus is. I I come to church, I worship, but, but I want it to be more than information. I want it to be transformation. And Abraham, as we just mentioned, he looked at what was precious. He looked at what was provision. And he said, God... These things in my life are not mine any longer. They are yours. And whatever you ask me to do, I will do it for you. I will sacrifice it for you. And if you look all throughout the Bible, there are stories of individuals who have to give up, who have to sacrifice, who have to move on and say, God, even though it doesn't make any sense, even though if I were writing the story, it would be very different, I'm going to give that up because my life is about trusting you. My hands are off it. This is yours. Hasn't this really been the journey of this community that's represented in the room this morning? Taking our hands off of something that if we were to write the story, it would be very different. And saying, Lord, I will trust you even though I can't see the end, 
even though I felt like this was you providing an answer and now I'm sacrificing it up to you? We are a blend of two groups of people in the room. There are those who have been longtime discovery people, and there are those of us who are portico transplants that are now in this community walking together. Both of us have had beautiful places to worship. Both of us have had friends and family and support, and we've been joining together, and we've had systems around us. It has been both precious to us, and we would both believe that it has been part of God's provision for us. And this morning... And over the last few months, God has been saying, do you have a faith that trusts me enough to follow you, to follow me, (laughs) when he says, go to a place that I will show you? That's what the call was for Abraham. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but God said, go to a place that I will show you. Do you trust me when you don't know what that will be, what that will look like? Will you sacrifice your comfort? So that I can transform the lives of people that might never know who God is unless somebody says, I will make a sacrifice and I will live differently. I will live a life that's surrendered to God, not about my comfort, not about what I would choose, but I will live differently so that somebody else will know who God is. That was Abraham's story. That was Christ's story. And now he looks at us and says, that is your story. Are you going to choose comfort or are you going to choose a faith that trusts to walk into a place that is unknown? And that's why we unashamedly ask you to be be here Wednesday night to say, I'm going to be part of something that is unknown. I am going to be part of something that will require faith. And I'm going to be part of something that is not about my comfort. I am going to be part of something that is about my faith in action. And I am willing to join a new expression of a church that is not designed for me, but it is designed for reaching a group of people that may never know Jesus unless somebody acts in this way. And you know, some of you may already know in your hearts that that's not the call God has for you. But he has another call to say, I am calling to respond to, you know what, I live somewhere else and I'm going to respond to grow his kingdom in another place. And I'm not doing it because it's easier for me. I'm not doing it because it's more comfortable. I'm doing it because God has spoken to my heart. And if that's your story, 100%, I'm behind you and I'm saying, let's go grow the kingdom together wherever. But I, I am not about being involved in a church that says, how can we make this more comfortable and easier for me? We want to be part of a church that says, how can we reach people? who never know Jesus? How how can I give up something so that I demonstrate my faith in action? I don't want to make choices of comfort. I want to make choices of faith. Because the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior, and we repent, and we turn, then we choose to live by faith. We don't choose to live by logic and how I would write this story. Everything changes. Life is no longer about me. Life is about His kingdom. And his purpose. Faith was meant to be a dynamic force in the world that steps into places that are dark or broken and offer life and hope. And we don't plant, from the bottom of our hearts, we don't look to plant new campuses because it's more comfortable. We could go, we have a lovely campus in Streetsville and they, there's people there that make espresso for you on Sunday mornings. There's this machine and you just go, one of those, and they make an espresso for you. And it's very, very lovely. And, there, and, there, and there's people that, that help you get wherever you want. There's people here that make coffee for me every Sunday morning. And it's absolutely amazing. And, and there's sound and there's lights. And, and, but we don't do it out of comfort, right? We do it because I actually believe the commission that Jesus gave to me was to go into the world and make disciples. 
And that circle that we've highlighted on the screen the last number of weeks, that represents hundreds of thousands of people who don't know Jesus. And there are very few churches in that region, very few expressions of God's true kingdom. And and we're saying, is there anyone who will risk enough of their comfort to go and make disciples and trust that God will lead us into places where he needs us? That's a faith that trusts. And James 1 and 22 to 24 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Our faith, when it is reduced to listening to a sermon on a Sunday, to singing a couple of songs, to having socialization, we forget who we are. And we forget we were not designed. This is, this is not God's purpose for us. It's like we've looked at ourselves and, and, and we forget what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like individuals who go and offer light and hope and the Spirit of God in places that would never know it except if we got there. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. My life verse I call it a life verse. It's a verse that, that, that dictates a lot of how I make decisions and kind of what some things that have come out of my life is in, this, is in the chapter previous, just a few verses before we get into James 2. It's James 1 27. It says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Share a personal story with you. Amanda and I, my wife, we've been, we dated all through high school. I think I shared a little bit of that one of the first Sundays that I was here. And we got married when we were 22 years old, 20, 23. I was 23, 22. We, we lived the first six, six years of our life. And we were... Amanda's a teacher. She's working at a, she's working at a school. I'm working at, at a church. We, we were quite happy with our lives, and things were going well. We're paying off debt. We invested into, into a home. And, and, and every fall, we make a decision to just, Lord, what are you saying to us? So we, we will take time through August, and we will pray individually. We will, we, will, we will pray together, and we say, Lord, what's the next step that you have for us? And there was one particular fall where Amanda went on. It was in 2008, I guess where Amanda went on a missions trip and she was over in Beijing. It was during the Beijing Olympics. And, and while she was there, she was, she was working with this organization. It was called, it was called Bring Me Hope. And uh, they, worked with, they worked with kids in this, uh, they, were, they were kids who had been orphaned and, and kids who were at this camp, they were running camp for these kids at Bring Me Hope. And God spoke to her while she was on this missions trip about, you need to, you need to adopt. Now, the year before, we had said it might, that past September, we're like, I think we're almost ready to start having kids. It's time for us to start having a family. And then the next summer, God says, you need to adopt. While she's in Beijing, while I'm home, I, I was doing, I was youth pastor at Portico and we were doing some youth stuff. And so she comes home with this, this word from God in her mind. And she's like, I don't think I can talk to Rick about this because we just talked about having a baby over last year and it's kind of been our, our journey and... And so September happens, school starts up, the ministry year starts up, and, 
and she hasn't really said anything to me. And we had, we were driving home from Barrie one night, and and I was really feeling God saying, I wonder if you should consider adoption. But I, I didn't want to talk to Amanda about that because we had just been talking about, we, we'd both have this nervousness. And I just kind of threw it out there. Have you ever thought about adoption? And she kind of looked at me snarkily and said, yeah, God talked to me about that two months ago, and I was just waiting for you to get on board. So we start then to figure out what's the process of adoption? How do we do this? And, and so we go through the training. There's, there's training. There's courses you have to go to. There's money you have to invest. There's home studies. It, it's a long, arduous journey. And it took us a couple of years to get going through all these processes. And there were some, some close, there were some matches that we were, they were starting to make. And we, we really believe this, that God was saying to us, this is, this is not about you. This is about somebody else. And this is not about what, what would feel best for you because what would feel best is like to hold just a new little baby and smell the new baby smell and when it's the good baby smell, not the bad baby smell, but you know, like you, you hold the baby and you smell it. And I'll, I'll stay away from your babies. Don't worry. <laughs> but God said, no, this is, about, this is about somebody who has, I have a life purpose for them and I want you to step into their situation and be light and life into them. So this isn't about you. And so a couple years go by and, and we're not seeing God do anything. So we started to give up. We started to give up belief that maybe, maybe we misheard God. Maybe he was just speaking something to us. And so, and so we said, maybe we should just try and have a baby again. You know, the old fashioned way. You can do this. We, we were both in health class. We can bring a man and a woman. And we know, like, we, we knew how to make that happen. And, and then Amanda was driving to work one day and God said, no, you just need to have hope. And it was on that day that God, uh, that our social worker called us and said, there are two kids I want, um, that I would like to uh, present to you as potential matches for you and your family. And one is, don't even remember the name of this one girl, but one was, one was Hope. And I remember just saying, oh my goodness, Lord, you called us into this amazing journey. And it has been life transforming for us to step in and what, what our daughter has meant to us. And we, we met her. We met this little five-year-old girl who has more passion, life, and energy than we can even pretend to have. And, and every day we try and keep up with her. And it's been a beautiful, God has done something beautiful in, in our family. But it was when we risked enough to say, God, you're whispering something to me about stepping out of what I would think to be true. And the story that we had written for ourselves was very different. We had never considered adoption. We will never again consider adoption, I don't think. If you've met Hope, you'll know why. We're just trying to keep up. But God said, would you just trust that the thing that I'm whispering in your heart is my voice for you? And man, he's been faithful. So this morning, that's the call that he's speaking to us. Is there something that God is speaking to you and whispering to you about? You know, you have had control of this piece of your life. And maybe it's about us collectively as a journey. You've been trying so hard to hang on to something. But I have something so much better. And you may not see the answer in the first year, the second year, the third year. For Abraham, it took a decade before he had that baby. For us, it took a number of years. Maybe it's about something in your personal world where God is speaking to you and saying, would you just begin to trust me even though you can't see how this is going to work out God is faithful 
when we take that step of faith, when we sacrifice it first. We're gonna sing a song, and we sang it last week. It's gonna be our theme song for the month, and it just says that I will trust you. Jesus, I will trust you. And as you sing these words, I want you to remember that it, this is not about belief. This is about action. This is about risking something. It might cost you something. It might not feel comfortable. But what does it look like for you to step out into an area of trust and faith with your Savior this morning? I'm going to ask that we would stand together. And just in a moment of honesty in the room before we sing, simply by raising a hand, who is God speaking to you about taking a, taking a step of faith and trust? Just raise your hand this morning as a sacrifice this morning, as step one. Who is God saying? All over the room, people are saying, Lord, you are speaking to me about trusting in a way that I have not trusted before. And I want to pray for you, and we want to sing and respond to this. Lord, you see our hands raised, and Lord, we are, we are together admitting that we don't have the answers for this story, Lord. God, we have tried to have control. We have tried to take control where it has not been deserved. We're not supposed to have control. And Jesus, as our hands are raised, we just say, would you take back control, Lord? Would you help us to be faithful, to walk into the places where you have called us to be light and life? Would you help us to take our hands off and just trust, Lord, that you will be who you said you were and you will continue to be who you said you always will. Lord, would you accept our worship that says, I will trust you as we sing together. If ever a message like this or any one of our messages sparks something in you and you want to have a follow-up conversation, please don't ever hesitate to reach out. We would love to spend some time together. We'll be, some of us will be around the front following the service and we can pray with you or we can meet up during the week. But can I just encourage you, whatever, whatever God has been speaking to your heart in these moments, our prayer team was, was praying this morning and Neil was just, Neil was just sharing that, that, that God was really doing something in, in, our, in our midst and really, really challenging us to, into at a brand new level. And so let me encourage you, don't leave it as a thought and a feeling here in this room, but put it into action. So whatever that, however we can be a part of that, support that, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to have you here Wednesday night as we talk about next steps for us as a community. And if not, we'll be happy to see you next, next Sunday. Pastor Luch is going to be here and he'll be leading out in the service uh, and preaching next Sunday. So wherever you go, whatever you do this week, just be obedient and listen to the voice of the Spirit. Thank you so much. God bless. Don't forget to sign up for uh, the ladies' tea on the way out. We'll see you.